your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter number 2. Ruth chapter number 2. We've been going uh, verse by verse through the book of Ruth. And I want to pull over for a second and look at these last remaining verses in chapter number 2. Remember, this is under the theme of redemption story. Ultimately, in this book, we will see how Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, will buy back the, the cursed, the exiled, the uh, having no hope, I hope you get the New Testament aspect, having no hope, no connection to the promises of God, Boaz will reach out and redeem a Ruth into his life. And so this whole book is about redemption story. So as we go through the book, we see the gospel themes. We see the Christian life themes when we compare Boaz to our heavenly Boaz, the Lord Jesus. And so I want to pick up reading in, and let's read down, let's read verse number 20. As uh, Ruth has come back from the field, you remember I told you that she came back with enough barley. There's about eight gallons. It's an ephah. It's a lot. She hit the mother load. She's barely straining. She kicks the door. They owe me. Open the door. I'm going to drop all this. She's got so much she's loaded down with. And in verse number 20, she begins to share. And Naomi, Ruth 2, verse number 20, and Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the land, uh, to the living and to the dead. I don't know why I want to say land of the living all the time, but to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man, uh, the man is a near kin unto us, one of uh, next uh, a kinsman. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto her, uh, and said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, and that they meet thee not in any other field. And so, so she left, she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. I want to talk to you this morning, wheat fields of the will of God. The wheat fields of the will of God. Now that'll make sense in just a moment here, but I want us to think about the wheat fields of the will of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we do love you this morning. God, we stand in awe as we come every Lord's Day to celebrate your death, but not only your death, your resurrection. That's why we meet on this day, this Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet this day because it is on that day that you are raised from the grave. And because of that resurrection, our lives have been touched, changed, forever changed and pointed to you. We have become your possession by faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that's the testimony of every person in this room, that they know you as Savior and Lord. But in knowing you, you have also commanded us. You have also opened unto us vistas of labor. 
places of your direction, places to obey you, to follow your words, and to remain close to you. God, I pray as we look at Ruth this morning and Boaz and their relationship with these, these wheat fields and barley fields, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see something of your will for our lives. God, I pray it would not be a puzzling matter. But God, there may be, maybe this morning, an amount of clarity will come into our own lives about what you want for our lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. So Ruth has happened in upon this field of Boaz. Boaz uh, unbeknownst to her, is related to Naomi, and there is implications as far as the law is concerned concerning Boaz and the widow of Naomi's son and Ruth. And so there's connections. She, she happens into this field, and she begins to glean as part of, of that economic system under Israel, how that this is one way to care for the poor. The poor could come out and they could pick up the droppings and the corners from the fields and find sustenance in their poverty. And, and from that, we find Boaz greeting her and speaking to her in this chapter. And he tells her in verse number eight, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go there after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, even further on, there is this sense in which Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, the one in whom she has found grace in his sight, is beginning to command her, is beginning to clearly tell her what to do and what not to do. And so what we see here is Boaz is directing her future in the way that he would have her to attend, to go upon the future days. He is, he is in his commands, he is telling her in what direction in the future. I don't, I can't see how you cannot draw a line from that when, when we think about how that Ruth is a Moabitess, she is disconnected from God's people, she has no part of them, and then all of a sudden, through this kinsman redeemer, through this relationship, she is brought into this field of sustenance and care among God's people. I can't help but see our relationship to the Lord Jesus, how that we were, we were brought in, we were uncircumcised, having nothing to do with the promises of God, and then all of a sudden we're brought into this relationship with Jesus. And you know as well as I do, in that relationship, you may not know it all at once, it may not all take place at one time, but over a period of time, when you begin to learn about this man, Jesus, when you begin to learn about the things that he said, the word that he has given us, we begin to realize that what he says in this book, in a very similar fashion, is directing our future. He's telling us what to do, how to live, what path to go. 
And so I don't see how you cannot come away from this scene as to seeing something about the will of God. The will of God is always that subject of the future, isn't it? What is God's will? What am I presently doing? It is something, it is the path in which we walk. You know, when I was a young preacher first starting out, this was one of my preoccupations. I mean, I definitely sensed the God, God calling me. I'd run from it for a while. And uh, uh, God had to caught me over the head, basically, and, 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 and kind of push me in that direction. It's a long story, I'll tell you sometime. But uh, God put me in this direction. I knew clearly that God wanted me uh, to serve Him to some capacity, whether, whether bivocationally or whether, whether full-time, whatever. He, I, he wanted me to serve Him. But then there came about this whole thing. What happened here? Where would you like me to go? What is your plan for me? What would you have me do? You know, really and truly, this is a subject not just for preachers or missionaries or evangelists or for high school teens graduating. What do you want for my life? What do you want? It is a subject for every one of us from the time we enter into that field of grace and meet the heavenly Boaz Jesus until we draw our last dying breath. God, what is your will for my life? What is the direction which you would have me to pursue? Understanding and undertaking the will of God ought to be one of our prime endeavors. Now, that will of God has some prerequisites that, that ought to be done immediately. That will of God is that we worship Him, that we love Him, that we go not to another field, that we remain close to Him. But there is also the matter of where, what to do, how to conduct ourselves, and who to stay close to, and who to stay away from. Those are all part of the will of God. And so it's our prime endeavor is to know and to do the will of God. George W. Truett, I've heard it repeated time and time again, but it is so true. He said to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, to find the will of God is the greatest discovery, and to do God's will is the greatest achievement. I could not say amen loud enough to such a statement. We would do well to keep in mind what another author said, out of the... Out of the will of God, there is no such thing as success. And in the will of God, what is helping? There is no such thing as failure. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? No matter, no matter what the outward world sees, as long as I am in the will of God, I can count on that being success. No matter what. No matter if I'm, if I'm pursuing Him, if I'm in His field, if I'm, if I'm where He asked me to be, I can count that as success. We're living in opposition to the will of God. No matter how prosperous, no matter how great a following, no matter how, how large I may think a ministry is, if it's outside the will of God, it is not a success. So the question remains, what does the will of God have to do with these real fields of wheat? And I think we've made that obvious. Boaz is explicitly telling her about future days. Ruth has found a new residence. 
a new relationship, new resources. She's beginning to grow into a new life and a new love. But in this process, she is met with the requirement of being obedient to the instruction of Boaz. Nobody likes what people tell them what to do about these days, do they? Nobody. Nobody. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it is the natural bent these days for when you tell someone to do something, there's a, there's a resistance. There's a bowing up to it because no one wants to be obedient. They want to do things of their own volition. You ever met somebody that says they won't do what you advise them until it's their own idea and you try to steer a conversation until what needs to be done is their idea? You know, that, that is very characteristic of the world in which we live, but also very characteristic of us Christians. We need to be a people that are clay in the potter's hand, not porcelain, uh, not, the, not jagged shards of, of fire pottery. We need to be moldable and shapeable in his hands to do his will, not obstinate. And, and fighting that, but yielded to that. And so I believe that in this passage of Scripture, we can see and learn about the implications of the will of God for our lives. Every child of God can glean insight into the will of God for their lives by seeing it portrayed in the life of Ruth. So that's what I wanted to do. And I want us to see that portrayal in three areas. Number one, I want you to see a that the will of God is a presented area. A presented area. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite has said, He said to me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended the harvest. Now, note in, in verse number 21, and, and, and look at also in verse 8. The boy said to her, uh, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go thou and glean in not go go not into go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. There is a clear and presented area where Ruth is to be found. It's plain and direct. You can't there's no doubt that Boaz wanted her in his field. This, this so is this with the will of God presented to us. Notice, first of all, we see this by personal address. Look at verse number 21 again. Ruth's, uh, the, the, and Ruth the Moabite said, notice these two words, or three. He said, or he said unto me. He said unto me. The words here are clear. They are uh, understandable. There's no mistaking them. There's no mistaking in the mind of Ruth what she was to do. Boaz said, stay in this field. Ephesians 5, 17 says, wherefore? Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Never forget, every one of us, God has a will for her, for our lives, and He wants you to know that will more than even you want to know. Therefore, He will show us His will. Now, 
You say, Brother Ronnie, I've never had this clear, distinct direction like God has done in your life to say, I want you to be a preacher. I want you to pastor. There's never been that, that clear sense in my life for God to do that. And, and that, that's not the same. Got God's will for every one of us is vastly different. God doesn't make us all preachers. Thank God. Have you ever tried to get along with all of them together in one word? Thank God. He makes all kinds of different people to do all kinds of... Paul said it's like a body. Some are fingers, some are toes, some are spleen, some are kidney. Yeah, we're all have a different function. So the will of God for my life is going to be different from the will of God uh, for your life. But that doesn't mean that even though it's different, you cannot know it. Now, many people do not know the personal will of God for their lives because they have not seen to the prescribed will of God for their life. He said, Brother Ronnie, what are you talking about? Listen, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, don't sit in the kitchen with your hands together and a halo over your head and say, okay, God, tell me, I'm listening. What do you want me to do? That's not the place to start. The place to start is where he plainly said it. You want to know the will of God. You know, young, young people oftentimes want to know the will of God and they, they, want you, they want you to give them a one, two, three, repeat after me kind of thing where they can know whether they need to be a missionary, a preacher, they need to be a deacon or an elder. Or, or No, that's not it at all. You start with what you know is the will of God. You know, Ruth did not know the ultimate will of Boaz at this point. What's the ultimate will? To have her to wife. Remember? He's going to end up marrying her. He's falling in love with her, head over heels for her. She doesn't know the end result, but she does know this. I'm to go to this field and nowhere else. I'm to stick with her, the maiden, and him, the reaper, and I'm to be close to them, and I'm to be with him every chance I get. That's all, that's all she knew was what was prescribed in plain. The same is true with us. The same is true with us. If we want to know God's specific will, then we need to know his straightforward will. Reading God's word. Brother Ronnie, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the elemental things of assembling together with God's people of worship. That's clear. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but come together. All the more as you see the day approaching. We're to come together to worship God. We are to give. Give liberally. Give graciously. Uh, uh, press down. Overflow it. Give. We're to love. Jesus said, by this you shall know that uh, all men shall know that you are my disciples, but that you, how that you love one another. We are to pray. Pray unceasingly. We are to read God's word. We are to worship God. Are you seeing the picture? The ABCs and one, two, three. Nobody likes to do the ABCs and one, two, three. We think we're so far past that. We, we don't need that. We just need to know, do, am I going to Zimbabwe? Yeah, that's all I need to know. Am I going to, am, am I going to China? Or if, am I going to South Georgia to pass or something? No, don't start there. Start what you know. This is the thing. You're to be with me. Don't go nowhere else. Stay with these people. Get whatever's left behind for you. It's the simple things. 
If you want to know what you don't know about the will of God for your life, then I suggest you start prioritizing what you do know about the will of God for your life. If there's some kind of question, start with what you do know. The New Testament is clear in its admonitions and its directions. It's a personal address. Boaz could not be clearer. Now, he didn't say anything about Mary and her. He didn't say anything about the future. He may well have known it. Uh, Naomi may have forgotten about Boaz until she heard his name, but there's no doubt. There, I, I don't believe there's any doubt that Boaz knew when he heard that that was the Moabitess woman that came back with Naomi, I've got, I've got the option on her. I can marry her. I can redeem her. That's my, that's my duty under the law is to marry her. He knew that all along. She may not have. She may not have understood it all. She may not have known that chapters later she'd be married to him. But all she knew was, stay here. <laughs> be with me. Don't go anywhere else. Stay with them, girls. Stay with them, guys. Glean from my field. Don't go anywhere else. And also, this personal dress is followed by a plausible action. Look at verse 23. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean into the end of the barley harvest of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. How simple is that? It's not that she needed uh, some sort of uh, doctorate degree in wheat, the, uh, wheat uh, germination uh, for harvesting that, uh, that something she didn't have. It's not that she needed uh, some kind of special sight in which she could do what Boaz had asked her to do. No, no, no. It's plausible. It's something that she could do. It was doable for her. You may think that you don't have much to offer God for his use. And that's a lot of people. They just say, Brother Rock, and that was mine to begin with. God started knocking on my heart. God, you know, I can't talk in front of everybody. Every time I get in front of people, every time I get in front of people, I start to stutter. Uh, I get scared. I start crying. You know, you God, you know. We did this one time in Sunday school with six-year-olds. You know what a train wreck that was. I can't do this. This is something that's beyond a limited use, God. You can't use me to do something like that. When I think about people's thinking their shortcomings from the being used of God. I think about the story I read about where a psychologist, an engineer, and a theologian went hunting in, in Canada. They're all friends from way back. They go in Canada. They go to hunt. Well, they're out in the wilderness hunting, and the weather was getting bad and bad. Just moaning, moaning, and worse and worse. So finally they saw a shack uh, over on the hill. So they made their way to this shack, and they, they go inside and open the door, and they find refuge. It wasn't locked. They just kind of went in dusted the snow off of them, shook it off. And inside the shack, they saw the strangest sight. They saw, uh, they saw this, inside this shack, they saw this pot-bellied, cast-iron, heavy stove suspended in the middle of the room by wire that was tied to the, to the main beams that held the roof up. Strangest thing they'd ever seen. And so as they sit there with the owner not being there, they, they begin to talk amongst themselves as to why, why someone 
would do that? <laughs> Why would someone put their hot belly stuff way up in the air in this cabin? Well, the psychologist spoke up first and he said, well, it's obvious that this lonely trapper, isolated from humanity, has elevated this stove so that he can curl up underneath it and vicariously experience the return to his mother's womb. A place of, 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 of not loneliness, a place of closeness, of human time. That's what's happening here. And the engineer looked at him and was like, man, you're crazy. That's not why. Listen, the engineer theorized that this man in his cabin is a genius when it comes to thermodynamics. By elevating the stove into the air, the man has discovered a way to distribute the heat more evenly throughout the small cabin, making every corner just as warm as every other place in the cabin. The theologian speculated, I'm not too sure about that. He said, I'm sure, I'm positive, you guys don't know this, I'm positive that this hanging stove from the ceiling has a religious meaning. You guys don't know this, but a lifted up fire has been a religious symbol for centuries of humanity. So while they're talking and going back and forth across, you know, over this, why, why they're doing this, all of a sudden, the door opens up, and it's the owner of the cabin. He walks in, kind of dusts himself off, and the guys quickly explain, we're, 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 you know, we're, we just kind of come in to get out of the weather. It's so bad. And they begin to ask him immediately why he hung this pot-bellied stove, stove by wires from the ceiling. Here's what he said. He had plenty of wire, just not a whole lot of stove pipe. Listen, you may feel a little short when it comes to doing God's will. Hey, but with a God that does the impossible with whatever we are, he's able to make us useful. Yeah, listen, God can use you. Just like that, that man used what he had to make the stove work, God can use you. He can. Every one of us, he can use us in the will of God. The will of God is a plain address. Also, the will of God is a pleasing activity. Look at verse number 22. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good. It is good, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his handmaidens and that they meet thee not in any other field. Naomi said, yes, 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 yes. This is a good thing. That he said that, he, she may know a little more than she's letting on here. You know, if you ever, your parents ever played match, try to play matchmaker, you know, you don't say everything out loud, but kind of give them a little hint here and there. I wonder if Naomi said, oh, it's good for you to be in that gold and get you anywhere you be in that field indicating to us that it was a delight not a drudgery the will of God for our lives is not a job it's a joy it's a joy notice first of all it's fruitful go back to verse number nine look with me there verse number nine let thy Boaz is speaking to let, let thine eyes be, uh, be on the field that they do reap. Talking about the, the, the maidens and the servants, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men uh, that they uh, shall not touch thee? 
And when thou art a thirst, go into thy vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. 15 and 16. And when uh, she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheep, and reproach her not. And let some also fall, uh, some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. You see something going on here? Boaz had commanded her to, uh, to her to, to put her in contact. God, excuse me. Boaz commanded her what to do to put her in contact with the bounty of God every day. Remember verse 9? In chapter number two, let the eyes of that fit be on this field and none another other. I've commanded the young men not to touch you. I he's gone out of his way to command those that are around her. You keep her safe. You keep her safe. You see, the will of Boaz for Ruth afforded her protection and provision every single day. Everything she needed. For life was in that field. If she'd have gone to any other field, she might have had protection. I read different books and commentaries talking about how the enemies of Israel marauded those fields and sometimes would rape and take advantage of people out of the fields in that near country. In his field, in his will, they were completely protected. In his will was everything they needed. You see, I think on this, uh, when, I, when I think on this subject, I think about Samson, the story of Samson in Judges 15. Samson coming to a place where he was surrounded by a thousand Philistines. And he, he grabbed what was the closest to him, the jawbone of a donkey. And he went to waylaying on the Philistines and started stacking them up like cordwood. He killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. But at the end of that scene in Judges 15, 18, let me read you this. It's talking about Samson. He, Samson, was sore thirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God claimed a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout, and when he had drunk, his spirit came again and he revived. And the story goes, he's killing Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He's doing the work of God, the service of the Lord. And when he's thirsty, God uses the same instrument that he fought the battle with to give him thirst, to quench his thirst. To give him help. Hey, same thing with God's word. We fight the battle. We fight sin. We fight the devil. We all, we stay off the world. We 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 try to stay in the will of God. And then from this same very book, we drink that which revives our soul and heart. What I'm trying to say is, oftentimes, being in the will of God, it is the will of God that oftentimes refreshes us with what we need to continue on. It's, it's refreshment that we need to fight the battle. You know, some hesitate at the will of God saying this. Brother Ronnie, I just don't know about surrendering to the will of God and, 
and, and doing anything like that because God may send me to Africa and I might have to eat monkey meat. I just don't know if I can stomach that. Well, listen, if it's God's will for you to go to Africa, then monkey meat will be the sweetest dish that you've never eaten, that you always wished your mom would have made, but you couldn't quite put your finger on what you wanted her to cook. Does that make sense? God knows what, who we are. God knows what we need. God knows what will bring joy and satisfaction in, in what He has called us to do. You will never be more fulfilled in life than when you are in the prescribed and personal will of God. I'll tell you what, that, that, that's probably why I am here today. You know, I pastored in Rossville for 10 years and tired. Tired, I, I just, it was time to leave. It was, I knew, it was clear. God confirmed it later on. It was time for me to leave that ministry. And, and, and I went to Lookout Valley Baptist Church and fit in there and served in certain capacities for several years. In, in Lookout Valley Baptist Church. But after a while, after my time of refreshment was done, it began to be uncomfortable. I'll never forget uh, one Sunday before I came here for the first Sunday about two years ago, I was invited uh, to preach it at uh, Piney Grove. Piney Grove was without a pastor. And I'm telling you what, I was getting up that morning and I was, they invited me to come and I didn't want to come because God knows I don't want to pastor again. I spent 10 years of my life over there pastoring those folks in, in, uh, in Rossville. I don't want no more of that. And uh, that morning, I remember back then, I didn't have a beard. I, I, would, I was shaving. And, no, I shaved the under part of my beard. And I was shaving it, and I cut myself right here, and it was bleeding. And uh, Carrie got up, and she saw my cut, and she said, oh, did you cut yourself shaving? I said, no, I tried to cut my throat it's to, so as to pastor, not have to pastor again. You know, I didn't want to pastor. I'm trying to cut my throat at the thought of even pastoring again. After, after that service, God just, God just did a work in my heart. I, I, tell, I come away from that service. I had no idea that I wanted to pastor again. I was dying to pastor that church. I wanted to pastor that church. But what God taught me in that moment, hey, here's the building. That wasn't the will of God for me to be at Piney Grove Baptist Church. The will of God is to me to be in faith community, a community church. God's will is for me to be here. But right then, I realized I was not comfortable where I was. It was time to move into the will of God. What I repudiated and said I never wanted to do again was something I'd go right down the road. Oh, God, let me pastor one more time. Oh, God, let, let me use me in a people's life once again. The will of God will not be obstinate. It won't be something that will disgust us. It will be something that we will find joy and satisfaction in. And my pastor said it right so many times. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Amen. Amen. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God will not keep you. Also, it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. I want you to notice something here in verse 21. Verse 21 of our text, he talks, she, uh, uh, she talks about the men. Ruth said, Ruth said, he also said to keep by, fast by the men. And then in verse number 22, Naomi said, oh daughter, you keep with his maidservants. So there's the men and the maidservants. 
She came in not knowing a soul, but Naomi. And now she has a whole variety of relationships that are available to her in the field of labor. When it comes to the will of God, he will supply you with co-workers, companions, co-laborers in that labor. Then I think about all the relationships and all the people that I've gotten to know through the years and being in the ministry. I think about my dear friend Chris Paradise, pastors in Rossville. We've been friends for so long and, and watched our, our families develop and grow and communicate with each other and bear one another's burdens. I, I think of others that I've, I've come to know in ministry that are some of the dearest friends and, and some of the greatest helps to me personally I've ever known. God knows that when we're in His will, He will send the people into our lives that we need to hold us up, to co-labor with. Most importantly, most importantly, it's fulfilling because every day you should see the Master. Now, obviously, I think it's the Master's not there all the time. Boaz was sometimes in the city. Remember, remember in chapter number two, he just kind of comes walking up. Everybody else is working. He's the master of the field. He notices this, this woman, the Moabitess woman, but he's not always there. But surely he is there. He comes to visit the field. She, she would see him daily. She was near and with him nearly every day. The greatest pleasure in laboring in the will of God is the personal presence of Jesus. A fellowship with Him. The will of God draws us in close and enjoyable nearness to Jesus. I don't think these days I can quote have a message without quoting Robert Hawker. Listen to what he says in these verses in commentary. If Jesus, he, our chief joy, he will have our chief company. We shall stand fast by him and his people and not be found in the field of the world, nor seeking our comfort from carnal pursuits. From one harvest to another, and from the one full moon to another, if the Lord be our portion, the Lord will be our delight. It is He. It is knowing Him. Listen, it's not the labor in and of itself. It's what our masters commanded us to do. It's where we'll find His pleasure. It's where we'll find the kiss of His company, the delight of His presence, the, uh, the, the sheer joy of His affirmation on our labors. It's Jesus. It's not about the work. It's not about the wheat. It's about Jesus. It's about the master. If you are in the will of God, you can't help but say, like Naomi, it is good. It is good to be in God's will. The will of God is a presented area of pleasing activity, the, also the persevering assignment. Look at verse 23. She, Ruth, kept fast by the handmaidens of Boaz to glean up to the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest dwelt with her mother-in-law. Here in these verses, we see something here concerning the duration of the will of God was that she stayed to the end of the harvest. She was to persevere in her labor and service. Notice, first of all, it's a continual service. In verse 23, we're told that Ruth kept fast. Naomi told her, stay fast, stay close to them. The Boaz told her to stay close to them. To stay fast, keep fast to this place. And what a joy it is to read 
that she did what her mother-in-law told her to do and what Boaz told her to do, she kept fast in that field. The indication is, is he kept in the field of Boaz at every opportunity. She was daily to work in the field. The will of God must be the consuming endeavor of our lives. That's where I'll meet the Lord. That's where I'll walk with Him. That's where I'll labor with Him is in that field of the will of God. You know, there are several jobs that are seasonal. But that's not our job. You know, seasonal jobs are like uh, like Winnipesoka or, you know, the incline. They need teenagers running them in the summer. That's the, that's the tourist. See, that's seasonal work. But the Christian life and the labor of the will of God for us is not seasonal. We are to persevere in this field. It always frustrates me when I see people, someone quit the labor God had designed them to do and lay a labor that gave them so much fulfillment and relationship to be found in another field. Be diligent. Be diligent in the will of God. Years ago, Dr. Jerry Bynes quoted a poem in one of his messages. I don't know where it came from, but it's always stuck in my heart and mind. I may not always be able to recite it from it, but its point is always there. The point goes, Master, where shall I work today? And my love rent flowed warm and free. He pointed to a little spot and said, Tend that for me. Not that spot. I said, None of my friends will see. But he wept as he sent me back and said, Are you serving them or me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. Remember, any place where we're near Him in the will of God is a success. No matter how great or no matter how small. The Apostle Paul describes the character and renown of the work of the, the, of the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Listen to what he said to them. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if there's, if there's any guiding principles in the labor and the will of God, let those be them. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. A continual service, a concluding season. Look at verse 23. It said, it said that she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest. Boaz said in verse 21, keep fast. Don't go anywhere else. Verse 23 says she kept fast. You see, there was an end to the harvest. The work is completed. We are to work by day by day in the field until either our work is done or his work is done. Many times we finish the work only to be moved to another field. That happens. Every one of us has experienced that at one time or another. A field's change. Places of God's leading and direction are never complete, are, are almost often never completely drawn out over a lifetime. There are changes, there are places, there are seasons. Other times our labors are completed and we lay our labors down on the other side of Jordan. The Apostle Paul knew this right well when he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 
Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When the Lord calls for us or comes for us, let him find us laboring in his will. Laboring in his feet. Are you confused about the will of God? I believe there's some principles here that are plain for us to follow. Start in the place where he, you know he wants you. God's one. Pray. Give. Love. Telling others about Jesus. All of these avenues that we know are plain and clear in God's word. Then seek to know any specifics. God, if there is something more that you want, I, I'm, I'm of the mind that if you will do the prescribed will of God to the best of your ability, you can't miss the personal will of God. If I'll follow him, he'll lead me to where he wants me to be. Don't hesitate at the will of God. Stay in God's will. One of my favorite poems, I love poetry, one of my favorite poems is an old Negro spiritual song that sings this way. There's a king and captain high, and he's coming by and by, and he'll find me hoeing cotton till he comes. There's a man they thrust aside who was tortured till he died, and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. He was hated and rejected. He was scorned and crucified. And he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. When he comes, when he comes, he'll be crowned by saints and angels. When he comes, they'll be shouting out hosannas to the man that men deny. And I'll kneel down in my cotton when he comes. When he comes, when he comes, he'll find me laboring in the will of God, seeking his fellowship, being with the maidens and with the men in the field of labor for the master. He'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. May, may that be the motto of our lives. May he find us laboring for him when he either takes me or comes for me. Let him find us laboring in his will. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. It starts, the first step is to surrender. What if, what if Ruth would have taken Boaz and Boaz said, don't go to another village, stay right here. And she said, well, wait a minute now, they're dropping a lot of stuff over in this field. They're dropping a lot. I, I'm going to weigh my options out. Let me go back and talk to Naomi and weigh all my options out. No, 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 that's not it at all. She surrendered to him right here. I don't know, something in his eyes. Something in his gesture, his kindness. She fell to the ground. Oh, how, how can I have found grace in your sight? It was in that meeting that Ruth surrendered all. Have you surrendered it all? That's the first step. Surrender all to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for this message and how it renews the reminder in my own heart to be in constantly seeking the will of God. Not looking off to some vantage point in the future, but doing what is plain before me in the field that you place me. God, help us to be diligent in the will of God that we know. And God, I pray that you would show us further insights 
to what you have for us in the future. Let us be diligent. Let us not quit in our labors until we hear your trumpet sound, until we draw our dying breath and enter into your presence. Let us be steadfast at your will. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Let's sing this hymn, I Surrender All, page number 354. I Surrender All, one verse, maybe two. God's spoken to your heart about your and the will of God for your life. Wherever you are, whether at your seat or down this altar, yield yourself to him. Surrender all. Brother Roger, go ahead.